On today's More Than a Test, we have Rajan Sheth, the CEO of Chiron Learning. While you might not have heard of Chiron Learning just yet, you've definitely heard of where he came from. After 17 years at Google, leading the Chromebook initiative, leading AI at Google, he decided to leave it to build a startup. He's gonna tell us about why he was willing to leave Google, what he misses about being at Google, and what invigorates him every day, leading Chiron Learning. Rajan, thanks for being here. Well, thank you. It's, a, it's, a, it's an honor to be here. It's really fun to talk to somebody else in like the tutoring AI space, because a lot of times I feel like I'm talking to people for whom this is, is really out there. And so I would love if we could just start this conversation with you telling us about Chiron Learning, what you do, what you're trying to do, and where, where you're at right now. Yeah, absolutely. And so Chiron Learning is a relatively new, new company. We started about a year ago. And really what we're trying to do is, can we figure out a way by which we can use technology to help bring about equitable access to great one-on-one -on -one teaching? Um, and really kind of where this came from is the, is the concept that, you know, there are always a few teachers in our life that have made a massive difference for us. And imagine if we can bottle up at least part of their teaching and make it such that they can teach thousand students, a million students, 10 million students. Uh, can we make that happen? Um, I was seeing some of the, the, the trends uh, with AI and realizing, you know, we can start to figure out ways by which we can empower teachers with AI to, to help make that happen. So what we're building is a platform by which teachers can create videos that feel conversational. And so what I mean by that is rather than just a static video, this is a video where a teacher can ask a question to the student, the student can answer the question, the teacher says the right thing, and it continues on and on like a conversation, almost like a tutoring session. Um, and by doing so, you can really meet students where they need the help and give them just-in-time, real-time uh, real feedback that they need to really drive to understanding. Okay, so let me break this down for someone who might be listening. So let's say I have, I think fourth grade math is where you started. So I have, let's That's say I have correct. a fourth grader. They go home at night. They have 10 math problems to do for homework. A couple of them they get wrong. They need help. They could log in with Chiron and potentially be having a, what feels like a conversation with their teacher or a teacher that they choose to get help on the couple that they didn't get right. That's exactly right. And so, so what, you, what they'll do is that let's say they're studying you know, multiplication. What they can do is they can go, if, if they're having trouble with a concept and we're really focusing on can we help students really learn those concepts, they can go to Chiron Learning, look for that particular concept, find a teacher, and they can choose from a variety of teachers and find a teacher that has the teaching style that they, uh, that they like, potentially the language that they like, the, the, the background that they like, and learn from that teacher. And then they'll go through an interactive session with that teacher where they can learn about that particular concept and hopefully at the end, have a pretty good grasp of that concept. Okay, so if my teacher's not doing it, there are other teachers covering the same concepts with these videos. And the way the AI is working is that it's listening to what the child is saying and doing, and then offering the right response video that a teacher's created or version of it. Is that, is that correct? That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so what, what the teacher does ahead of time is that teachers can think about what their lesson plan is and then record a bunch of small snippets of video. And then we weave it together with AI. And so we'll, we'll as you said, hear what the child is saying, understand, hey, they, they have this particular misconception and then be able to dynamically compose the video um, and build a video that, uh, that, that is right for that student. 
That's really cool. So let me tell you a weird experience I've been having with you. So you and I talked a few weeks ago. And since we've talked, I've been talking to anybody who will listen to me about this, about like what they put their kid in front of it. How do they feel about it? Right. And I describe it exactly the way we just talked about it. You have a fourth grader. They have 10 math problems. They get three wrong. They can log on and it's going to feel like their teacher or a teacher they choose is helping them. And everybody's like, that's really cool. That sounds really great. Then I'm t- this is where things get weird. The same people, I have a lot of friends who use Peloton. I ride my Peloton almost daily. And I said, what, how would you feel if your Peloton instructor, you found out it wasn't Cody Rigsby. It was actually Cody Rigsby developed through AI using his old videos. Like he's no longer recording. They're just making new classes, like using AI. And everybody was like, no. Like, that's not it. (laughs) That is not the experience I'm looking for. So what do you think? So what's your response to that? Because it has been just like the weirdest juxtaposition for me having to be like, yes, for my kids' homework. And like, we all talk about kids and safety, but not on my rides need to be authentic. What do you think that's about? (laughs) You know, I think it's interesting because I do think that there are a variety of mediums that, that, that can be used. There's live streaming, there's static video, and then there are dynamic video like this. And I think each has a different purpose to them. Definitely, if you can have a live one-on-one conversation with somebody, you should have that live one-on-one conversation. But the thing is, is in so many situations, you're not able to do that. And so this is almost like the next best thing there. And actually, what's interesting, you talk talk about Peloton, we're seeing a bit of a Peloton effect with this. So what's interesting is that just like Peloton, you really kind of gravitate to a particular instructor. Similarly here, when a student is, is doing a Chiron lesson, they can choose a particular instructor that they do the lesson with, and they really start to gravitate to that particular, um, that, that particular instructor and that teacher. And so that bond, it's been really interesting to see the bond that students build with the teachers through our product. That's so interesting. And your teachers look like people, right? They're, or they are people. Um, they are it's funny people, yeah. you say that. At Amira, we have an avatar that children are reading with. So it's like a cartoon person. And um, kids often ask her if they can go to the bathroom or have a tissue. Or I've also heard a fifth grader ask her on a date. Um, so it's interesting <laughs> the way like kids, are, the, our, our culture has kind of shifted and we're all really open to relationships online and that the person that's online is just as real as you and I are today. Yeah, it, it is really interesting. It was interesting. One of the first student tests we did with this, um, there was a student that was interacting with uh, with our teacher. Uh, and then the teacher at the end of the lesson said bye and waved bye. And the student waved bye back to her. And so, you know, they build that kind of a relationship with the, uh, with the teacher. And what we found from surveying students is that the teacher's personality is really the main thing that really attracts them uh, to this and actually helps them drive their learning. It's interesting you say this. There's a word on your website, or it might've been on a bio that I read about you, where the, the word that I like caught my attention, because, you know, we talked about like high quality instruction and like, you know, so in the moment support and stuff like that. But the word was affirming that I was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's interesting that this could yes. be affirming for a student. And it, what it reminded me of was there was a study that came out recently that said, if black children have a black teacher in, in elementary school, they're like 13% more likely to apply to college, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm curious, like, are you having some of that experience too, where kids are choosing teachers who look like themselves? And is that what you mean by affirming? I think there are a few things we mean by affirming. So one is how can we build confidence uh, in, in the student? And I think one thing that we're finding is that confidence is as important as, um, as whether or not they get something correct. And in fact, it's more important. And so we do a few things to, to do that. So the first is we really encourage mistakes. 
we encourage the student to say what's on their mind, say it how they think it is, and then not, uh, not you know, downgrade them if they've made a mistake. So we'll give them just the just-in-time feedback that they need and be affirming in that and, and basically make it such that we're giving them, giving them encouragement and getting them to the, uh, to, the, to the answer. The second thing is that we want to check in with the student and actually make sure that they are, they're, they're feeling okay, they're, 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 being, they're, they're feeling confident. And so we put a lot of social emotional check-ins throughout the lesson uh, where students, uh, are, we check in with the student and see how they're feeling about this and help them if they're not, if they're not feeling good about the lesson uh, so far. Also, there's the effect that you're saying, and that has been really interesting. What we've really tried to do is have a diverse set of teachers uh, that are there. Uh, we have teachers that are, you know, various backgrounds, but in addition to that, also teach in various languages too. So, for example, in many of our lessons, we have a teacher that teaches in Spanish, uh, that actually is a Latino man that uh, that that has come from Central America. And um, what's interesting there is that we do see people gravitate to to people of the same background uh, within the classes. And then, in addition to that. Teaching it in a different language will make it such that, for example, an English language learner that's having trouble learning math in a particular class can learn in Spanish and actually can get a better understanding. Interesting. That's great. Um, let me dial on, on one thing that you said, and then I want to talk a little bit more about how this all works as far as like getting access and things. So one sure. of the things that you said was you're encouraging children to make mistakes. And I remember when like growth mindset came out and Carol Dweck was everywhere and everybody was like, yes, this is what we're going to do. We're going to encourage, and we had no idea what we meant. We were just saying yes to this, like this idea. And now as a parent, like, I know I want that for my children, but I also know it's really hard when they're making some of those mistakes. So first of all, like what research did you use to like make the decisions about how you encourage mistakes? And can you see children like being more open to their mistakes through, through working with Chiron? Yeah, I, th I think I think I think definitely for the second part, yes, we see yeah, we see students being more open to making mistakes um, here than they would ordinarily. And um, the, uh, some of the things that we that we do is that when when a student makes a mistake, we don't tell them that they're wrong. We'll give them follow up, and we'll 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 have, for example, follow up questions, follow up comments, and things like that that can help them get to understanding that we can then check with the next uh, uh, next problem that they do. And I think in terms of the research that this is based on, there's all of the research there that you're talking about about around, around the growth mindset, where where you know if you can encourage students to be okay with not being perfect. Um, then they'll get, they're, they're going to continue to learn better. But actually, really what it was based on is the experience of our teachers. We have some extraordinary, amazing, and really, really experienced teachers who are applying you know, 20 years worth of education knowledge into this product. And that's one of the key things that, that are there. One thing that we did is we drafted up a set of teaching principles uh, that's actually posted on our website. And those are the principles that we follow uh, for every one of these lessons. And this is one of them, that, uh, that we expect mistakes. Oh, that's great. Okay. So let's talk about teachers. So a lot of our listeners are teachers. Um, if a teacher has, this is their first time they've heard about Chiron learning and they want to participate, they want to, you know, send 10 math problems home and then have some lessons and things from them up. How, how does that work? How do they get access? Yeah. So they can, they can go to our, our website, chironlearning.com and just click try Chiron. And from there, uh, they'll, they'll be able to actually access all the lessons. It's all available to them. 
Um, uh, and we're again, we're focusing on fourth grade math. And so what we're going to be put doing there is throughout the year, posting more and more and more things around fourth grade math to help uh, help students. We're finding that that's useful for fourth graders, fifth graders, all the way up to seventh or eighth graders um, who need help with a particular set of concepts. And so they can just get get those and then assign them to students uh, so that students are able to use it. They also can build their own lessons, and we're just at the beginning of getting uh, teachers to build their own lessons. And so they can contact us through the, uh, through the website um, to if they're interested in actually building lessons themselves, and we can work with them to do that. Oh wow! Okay, so the, right now you don't like teachers aren't actually building their own stuff. Right now it's just using the the, the material that's there. Interesting. That's great. And so like, let me ask you this question then. When you start, so the first are like the really excited teachers who want to try something new. This is how they do it. The opposite side, the teachers who are like, I don't know if I want like my image, my videos messing around with AI. <laughs> um, what, you know, what would you say to those teachers? Uh, and is there a way for them to, you know, participate? What, what do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. So there are a couple of ways. Uh, so the first is that what I would emphasize is the, the way that we're using AI is very, very, very controllable. So it's basically the teacher is guiding the experience. They're guiding the questions that get asked. They're guiding the responses that are there. And they have full say over everything within, within the system. That's been something that's been really appealing to a lot of educators with Chiron Learning is that it's not AI that's just creating things. It's, it's AI that is fully controlled by the, by the educator. The second thing I would say is that if they actually don't want, still don't want to do that, we do have a lot of content that's already there. And so they don't have to go and record their own. They can use content from teachers that, uh, that are there uh, and be able to, to help their students that way. That's great. Okay, so let me ask you this question now. So we surveyed teachers at Amira once about like trying to get them to use the product more, right? Sign up, whatever, get kids to read alongside with it. And we we did this long survey and this particular question had um, multiple choice. And it was like, you know, if we offered more tech support, if we had more prizes for people, like contests to help that you could win for using Amira or like we offered 10 different options, right? Show you more research. The number one response far and away was make it a district mandate. <laughs> like if you want me to put my kids on this reading program, make it a district mandate. And I'm curious, do you have any district or state partnerships where there are like large groups of teachers trying to use Chiron or is this still pretty grassroots? It, we actually are working with a bunch of, uh, a bunch of districts uh, uh, as well. And so we're just at the beginning of doing that, but we have some very large districts that uh, are going to be deploying this in many of their schools um, in the next few weeks. Um, and we've also been working with a lot of charter organizations as well. So KIPP Schools in Chicago, for example, um, has been actually a partner with us from the very beginning and has helped us even from before we wrote a line of code. And they're now trying this with, uh, the, with their students. We tested this with a lot of those systems uh, back in the spring and saw some really, really strong results with, uh, with students. And many of them are now uh, distributing this uh, uh, more broadly within their districts and their school systems. Awesome. Okay, let me ask you one last question and then I want to talk about you instead of Chiron. So you keep saying strong results and we see great things. Like when you're a district, what you care about is state results, that the kids are learning, right? So yeah. not that they like it, not that they sign up, but that they're learning. Do you have results that are showing that kids who use Chiron learning learn and they, they grow? Yes, definitely. And I'll caveat with that, that with, you know, we're early. 
in this. And so um, we are, we're actually in the midst of actually also doing efficacy studies along, alongside the pilots that we're doing, but a few things that we've seen. So I do think it really matters if the students engage uh, with this. And so we're finding that, you know, 77% of our students have rated this the highest rating that they possibly could. They're very, uh, they, they really enjoyed the experience. And what was interesting is watching students in the classroom and watching how engaged they are. One thing that's interesting with video is that for a lot of kids after 60 seconds or after two minutes, they'll disengage with video, with a static video. Here we're having students that have been, that, that we use this for 25, 30, 35 minutes and are engaged because there's an interaction every 20 or 30 seconds uh, with this. And so that was something that was really interesting to see. 93% um, of our teachers said that they would recommend it to another uh, another teacher. And then what's interesting too is that, um, you know, in the very early measurements, what we tried to do is test the student on a particular concept beforehand and then test them at the, at the end of it. And we saw an 18% jump in the number of students that understood that concept uh, by the end of just a 30 minute lesson. Still very early data, but it's what's really encouraging because it, it shows that students are willing to engage with this and that they're learning from it. I don't know, 93% of teachers recommending a product has got to be huge. We had Carl Rectanus on a few months ago, and he said that teachers come in contact with like 143 products a year. Um, so that, that's got to be really exciting for you. Okay, I said only one more, but I'm actually going to ask one more, one more. Sure. <laughs> um, because I'm, I'm so curious, when you think about, um, you know, I think in any of these products, anytime it's AI, the, one of the first things we hear is, are you trying to replace teachers? And you have huge teacher fans. And so I'm assuming they don't feel replaced. Tell me like really and truly, what's the dream of what, what the role with, with Chiron and teachers? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you're exactly right that our whole mission is to empower teachers with AI and make it such that they can build with, uh, they can build with AI. I think we see two reactions. We see teachers in the classroom where, you know, they have 30 students who are all at a different level in math. And it's very, very hard for them to then teach to the level of every single one of those students. But if they can use a tool like Chiron, they can actually give each student the help that they need where they need the help the, uh, the most. And then for teachers that are actually creating on this platform, I think they see it as a way that they can scale their impact to many, many, many students. That, you know, it's, it goes beyond just the students that they have in the classroom. They can scale their impact to thousands or millions of students. Oh, wow. That's really great. Um, I, I didn't think about it that way, but it's true. I was thinking about just like, even to my 30, it would be great. <laughs> if we could scale yeah. Laura Glad to my 30, that would be great. Um, <laughs> that makes sense. Okay. I'm going to, so I told you about how, when I keep talking to people, um, I bring up the Peloton thing and they're like, no, I want my authentic experience, but I'm happy with my kid to get their teacher as a tutor. That sounds fabulous. Um, and then the other thing I, I talk to people about when I talk to them about Chiron Learnings, I talk about you and I talk about how you spent 17 years at Google and I'm telling you every single person pulls out their phone. They cannot believe <laughs> that someone spent 17 years at Google could still be at Google doing some of the things that you've done and would choose to take a leap into the ed tech space, which is, I'm sure, as you know, <laughs> a lot of work, the AI space, which is controversial right now. So let's talk about that. You did when you were at Google and making this decision, what was that like? How did you know it was time to go and this is what you wanted to do? Yeah, I think what it really boiled down to me was, was really a life decision, is that I knew for the last 10 or 12 years that education is what I wanted to focus on. That's my passion area. And it's an area where I think that there, there's a, a huge area to make an impact. 
I myself am the product of, of parents and grandparents who found their way to an education. And as a result of that, that has affected multiple generations um, after, uh, after that. And so education is core to my, my heart. And so I really kind of got to the point where I, it was really a life decision to say, you know, what do I want to do and what kind of impact do I want to leave? And really it boiled down to, I think I can make a huge impact on education if I could learn about how technology could be applied better. And I want to focus on that. I want to wake up every day and feel like I have a purpose. And that's really what has been great with, uh, with stepping into Chiron Learning is that every day is filled with purpose. It's interesting to hear you say that because when we talked before, you were on the Chromebook team, right? And what I remember is um, being in a school and we, it felt like overnight. I'm sure there was like a month, but it felt like overnight. We went from kids, maybe a few kids had a, had an app, had a Mac, like whatever, to every kid had a Chromebook in front of them. That's what we all had like that. So to me, that seems like a huge impact for kids. You think this is going to have a larger impact than that work that you did at Google? Um, I think it will. But what I will say is that that work at Google, especially the Chromebooks work, was the most most impactful and and the thing I'm the most proudest of, uh, of the work that I've done at Google, really because of exactly what you're saying, which is I have students come up to me now and, uh, you know, for example, students are in college and they say to me, I never would have had a computer if you hadn't done the work that you did with, with Chromebooks. And that is actually what really made me think because I want to be doing that every single day with everything that I do. I think what's interesting here is that it's now taking uh, with Chiron is it's taking that to the teaching and learning level. And it's also really focusing on the students that don't have what they need, that are struggling and need that one-on-one interaction. Um, a lot of students have what they need, have access to resources, and they're able to get that kind of that kind of interaction. But so many students out there don't have that. And we're focusing on how can we help those students that really need that help, that if they had that right teacher um, in their life and they had that right interaction, they'd be able to fulfill their potential. Okay. Well, let me tell you what Amit told me from Owl Ventures. So I was talking to Amit um, Patel and he was on the show and I was telling him about how when I was looking at making a job shift, I was a, I was a school leader and I was coming to ed tech. And I talked to him and I talked to a bunch of people and someone said, whatever you do, don't go to ed tech, whatever you do. Like, it's the only one that's never going to pay out. Like it's so much more work. Like don't do it. And Amit said, actually, Laura, I think that answer is just outdated. He said they did ed tech a long time ago. Now that kids are one-to-one with devices, now that devices are part of, part of every classroom, it's a different world than it was. And you kind of set that up for yourself, right? <laughs> in that yep. they went, we, we weren't one to one. Did you, was that part of the plan? Is that why you were on the Chromebook team? Did you foresee that when you were on the Chromebook team? I think with the Chromebook team, we had that vision, which is that if we can get a computer in front of every single student, all of a sudden learning can change. And there's so many ways that it can change. And you're right, that set up the baseline for so many things um, uh, uh, that, that could happen with, uh, with learning. And I do think that it, it has made it possible for companies like us to really succeed. Now we don't have to think about, you know, does a student have access to a computer? It's almost like a default that students have access uh, to computers uh, within the classroom. And I think what it does is a few things, like it, it, reacting to kind of what you were saying there. One, I think it's, it's made it such that it is, uh, you, you have the ability to create successful ed tech companies. But the bigger thing is that 
when you look at EdTech, you look at kind of the success of the company, but you really have to look at the impact. What is the impact? What's the, the impact on students that you're going to be able to make? And I think now that potential to make an impact is incredibly high with the technology that's out there. And then also with things like AI coming into the, into the forefront. Okay. In the last like 60 seconds, you said the word success or succeed about four times. So I'm, I have to ask, Chiron Learning will be successful when? Chiron Learning will be successful when every student out there has access to the teacher that's right for them. That's awesome. Um, okay, let me, so so again, 17 years at Google, it makes everyone Google you. <laughs> like right away, <laughs> people want to know who you are and what this is because they're like, if he's willing to do that, it must be something big. Um, and then to making this leap. And one of the things that Julia Raphael Baird talked to us about is like, you have your own, you should always have your own boardroom, right? Like who are these people who sit at your boardroom table? So who is the person that you went to to have this conversation of I'm ready to leap? Uh, and who, and what did they say? Um, cause I know like enough people who work at Google who would say like, it's a comfortable, like great place to be on a pretty regular basis. So I can't imagine like it was even easy on your family. So tell me about that, that moment. Yeah. Really it was my wife. And, uh, I, I remember the moment because we, we were going for a walk and I was really kind of considering this. I was thinking, I had actually started to think about the concept of Chiron learning and we talked about it and she was the one that said, you know, you need to be happy with, with, with what you do every single day. And so you need to go towards what, what's going to make you happy. And I was just really realizing, I knew it in my mind that if I went and did this, I would be doing something that I'd be happy about every single, every single day. But to your point, it's comfortable. It's, it's not easy to make that kind of, that kind of a leap for so many reasons. Um, and I then, you know, that conversation got me to decide that I'm going to make this leap. I'm going to try it and I'm going to see what happens. It's not an easy thing to do because, you know, as we all know, like starting a brand new company is very, very hard uh, to do. And it has been very hard. It's been the hardest thing that I've ever done, but it's been the most, uh, um, the, the most fulfilling thing that, I, that I've ever done. And, um, and I'm glad I made that uh, decision, but, but she's the one that pushed me over that. All right, let me ask you about a couple of things you just said. What are some of the comforts at Google that you miss every once in a while? <laughs> <laughs> so I think the, the thing that is really interesting about a company like Google, Google is a fantastic company. And what's, what's amazing about Google is, especially after, after being there so long, you know, the things you're doing are very, very important. You're affecting a lot of people. There are a lot of resources that you have access to to make, uh, to, to, to affect people. Um, you know, I was in a, a senior enough position where, um, you know, you feel like you're doing something, uh, something really, uh, really important. And then there's just, you know, the Google, the company, like I remember when I was turning in my badge and I was just walking through the buildings that are, that are there. It's just, you know, an extraordinary place, extraordinary place to work um, with great people, great facilities, all kinds of things uh, around there. And so, that's what made it hard. Uh, you know, when I first went to Google in 2004, I thought, okay, you know, I'll be here a few years. But it was such an extraordinary place where I grew so much that I was there for 17 years. And that's hard to, that's definitely hard to leave. So it was very hard to kind of finally turn in that badge. I'm sure. Um, what's one thing at, that you learned at Google that you've taken to your new company? I think the one thing that I learned at Google is that Google has kind of a, how do I put this, a kind of, um, almost a disbelief of the impossible. 
And so what has been interesting with everything that I did at Google, everything that we took on seemed pretty crazy when we, when we started to take it on. Things like Google Apps for Education. Will we get all these schools to put their data on Google servers and rely on something that's in, uh, on the web? Um, Chromebooks, like we're building a brand new operating system when you know, there are already massive operating systems that are out there. All the things we're doing with AI seemed impossible. It almost seemed like magic. And um, you know, that kind of disregard for the impossible is something that, that was key to, I think, everybody's success at Google and my success at Google. And that's something I'm, I'm taking here. A lot of people tell me that you know education is really hard. You shouldn't do anything in education. Run for the hills if you're doing something in education. AI is really hard. It's very nascent that you know, it's, it's unclear what it's gonna be able to do. But you know, with, with what I'm doing, it kind of takes that disregard for the impossible to, to, to decide to kind of climb this big hill. I love that. Thank you. Disregard the impossible. That's what I'm going to walk away with today. Okay. And then you keep talking about how fulfilled and how happy you are working on this kind and how you wake up every morning with purpose. So what's making you so happy? <laughs> I, I work in a tech. I know how hard it is. Tell me what, what are those moments? What are you doing? That's really bringing that joy for you. I think there are a few big things. One is just interacting with educators all the time. I love working with educators. I loved working with educators at Google. Like, you know, when you when I walked into classrooms and saw people using Chromebooks and talked to the teachers uh, using it and got their feedback, it was just you know you would get this the, this kind of uh, this, this kind of uh, sense of encouragement. And the same thing here that I. I have such respect for teachers and being able to work with them all the time is uh, is a huge thing. Um, the people in our company, um, you know, it's it's the best group of people that I've ever gotten a chance to work with. And um, what's interesting is that our company, we we deliberately made it such that half the people within our company are educators. And as a result of that, I'm learning a lot from them. One thing that I realized leaving Google is. I didn't know that I didn't know this, but I didn't. I don't know that much about education. When I left Google, I didn't know much about education. And I spent about the first year learning from educators about education before we actually got the company rolling. And that helped an amazing amount. I feel like I, I have a much better grasp of what actually works with students and what the teacher goes through um, uh, every single day. And so being surrounded by teachers within the company has been, uh, has been uh, tremendously fulfilling. And then really that, that ability to move quickly, that you know, we can make big decisions in a week, completely shift the company in, in, in different ways and just move really nimbly. And that has been really, really fun to do. I really, I love the last two things that you said, especially the thing about teachers. Um, one of the things I used to say to people when I was talking to ed tech companies about this transition is, you know, everyone's been to the principal's office. So everyone thinks they know what the principal does. And then when you actually go in and live it, it is far different. Like the amount of work, the time, the energy is just the effort that educators and teachers and principals are putting in their heart and soul into kids. And so for you to say that just means a lot to me. So thank you for that. Um, you know, we keep kind of touching on it. It's really fun to make the big decisions fast, spend time with teachers, build something you believe in, but it's hard too. So tell it's me hard. about some of the tough moments. Tell me about some of the things that you're working through at Chiron. Yeah, I think, you know, one, we're working with technology that is that is on the bleeding edge. Um, you know, AI, uh, generative AI, things like that that are really new things. And so, trying to get it to do the things that we want it to do is really really difficult. And that is uh, on on one hand the 
the things that are really, really fun about what we do, but then also, also it's the thing that is really hard. And, um, but you know, that's one thing. I think the second thing is, okay, when you have a product, how do you actually get people to adopt it? I think one thing that was interesting with Google is because you have the Google brand name, you release anything and all of a sudden, at least like hundreds of thousands of people are using it. Um, and we don't have that here. We release something and you know, it's, it's like, it's like a for it's like a tree falling in a forest with nobody there. Right. And so we have to really get that in front of people and get people on, you know, using it and, uh, and working with that. And so building that is very, very hard, especially as a, uh, as, as a small startup. I think the last thing is really kind of finding that product market fit is really challenging. And, you know, you can think of the product market fit in theory, but then finding where does this really make a big difference and where is it solving an urgent problem is really hard. And that's hard. That was hard with Google for sure. It's hard with any early stage thing. Um, and I've gone through that with Chromebooks. We have the same issue, but then it, you know, with a startup, it's even harder because you're a brand new company doing that. Yeah. It's funny that you say this. So, um, this last weekend, my father was over. My dad was a principal for like 40 years. And I was telling, and like, I guess we hadn't sat down and talked about Amira much. And so I was telling him all about it. And I was telling him about our results and some of the things that it's done. And my dad was like, I don't understand. Like, why doesn't everybody have it? Like, why doesn't everybody want it? I was like, I don't know. Why don't you tell me? <laughs> like, <laughs> you, you did this? Like, explain this to me. Because like, it's it was when you're living it and you can see the results and you spend time, like I've spent a lot of time doing our product testing, getting to see it in front of kids. And it's like, oh my God, this is a game changer. But when you think about the thousand things educators need to do, um, it's hard. It is really hard to be the thing that they they get and they want and they have time to put in front of kids and stuff like that. So I think you're totally right about that. And I, and I really appreciate you naming it. Um, so, and we mentioned my dad. So I'm curious, you talked about your parents, you talked about grandparents, um, you know, finding education. How, are they, I, I don't know if your father is still alive, but if he is or is not, like, what would he say or what does he say about this new exciting venture? They, my parents are, are very proud of it. And, and I think they they see me working towards purpose and they're, and they're really proud of that. And what's interesting, so yeah, I mentioned a little bit about my, my, my grandparents. Um, my, my, grand, my grandfather on my dad's side, he grew up in a village in India and he found a way to get a, a, an education in law. And as a result of that, was able to lift himself out of the village into, um, into a very important role and that then, you know, created opportunities for every generation after that. My dad was the very first person in the family to leave India and move to the U.S. And my mom was actually the very first electrical engineering graduate um, in, in the state of Gujarat in India. Um, uh, sorry, the very first female uh, electrical engineering graduate in, in, in the state of Gujarat in India. So they had to overcome really significant barriers to get to where they were in their education. And they came to the US such that I can have a great education um, myself. And so they, I saw how much they sacrificed for education and how much the family had sacrificed for education. That really drove me because I, I feel like if we can bring education to many more people, we're not just impacting them, we're going to impact multiple generations um, uh, as well. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of that DNA in the family that, uh, that, that has really prompted that. That's awesome. That's really great. And I'm glad that they feel proud of you. I'm sure that they also felt proud of your 17 years at Google, but that's exciting for all of you to be doing this. Um, all right. So 
when you think about the work that you're doing, what, what's keeping you up at night? What's making it hard for you? I think there are a few things. I think one is, are we having an impact? And how do we show that we're having an impact? And how do we continually prove that, uh, that, that hypothesis? And so, you know, I'm, like, what keeps me up at night is how can we get this in front of more students and learn from, the, from those students? Uh, a second thing is the technology. The technology is evolving so quickly. Um, and one, figuring out how to apply AI is challenging because things are, things are evolving uh, as they are. Also figuring out how to do it responsibly is another big thing. And that's a big challenge. I, I saw this at Google that we did a lot around responsible AI to try to figure out, you know, is this a good use of AI? Is it not a good use of AI? Is this implementation the right way that's gonna actually have a positive impact versus a negative impact? We're having to do the same thing here and make sure that the way that we're using AI is actually gonna be beneficial and not have unintended consequences. Um, and then the third thing is really kind of finding where this, uh, where this fits. Um, you know, like you said, um, a lot of people are interested in it, but then they're also all very, very busy. And so how do we get it such that we can get it into the hands of people, people start using our platform, they start using our lessons and they benefit from it. That's awesome. Okay. My last question about you very early on, you said, you know, the kids, lots of people can identify a teacher who changed their life or who like put them on this path for success was for you. Did you have a teacher and who was it? Yeah, I had two teachers that uh, that were really impactful. One was uh, a man named Robert Thomason, who was my sixth grade teacher. Um, and I, when I was in fourth grade, um, I wasn't doing very well in school. Um, I was, you know, I had potential, but I was just not engaged in school. Mr. Thomason was the first teacher that really made learning exciting for me and really kind of got me into it. He did all kinds of really interesting things. So for example, he would make it such that we would write letters to famous people and that in, in doing so we would, we would, you know, get out of our, uh, get past our fear of talking to famous people, but then also learn our language skills in doing that. We got responses from amazing famous people uh, as a result of that. But who did you write to? Way. I have to know, who did you write to? Yeah, so I wrote to, um, I wrote to my favorite author um, at the time, and he agreed to do a, uh, uh, at that time, a voice conference with, uh, with the whole class. I, um, uh, who was I, your favorite author? Oh man, I'm, I'm trying to remember who, uh, his name. Um, I think his name was Alfred Sloat. Uh, okay. at the time, and he wrote, he wrote, uh, a, uh, a set of books about robots, uh, that I <laughs> loved in fifth and fifth and sixth grade. Cool. And so, and he was willing to actually do a conference with us, which was uh, fantastic. I wrote to, um, I lived in Colorado and so wrote to all of our, um, uh, uh, all of our U.S. senators and they all wrote back actually with personal notes uh, back to me. Um, I wrote to the Wesson Oil Corporation because we had a, a bottle of oil that spilled and, or that, that leaked. And so I wrote a complaint letter uh, about that. They were so touched by it that like a, 11 year old was sending them a letter that they sent me a whole set of coupons for free oil. And so it was, it was fascinating just to see that, but it, but it was, it was really kind of showing the impact that we as kids can have through language, uh, which I thought was really, really interesting. 
I, I'm going to let you talk about that teacher, the next teacher, but I have to disappoint you really quickly. My husband, who grew up in Wyoming, went through the same experience, but the only letter he remembers writing and that we have the response from was Cindy Crawford wrote back to him. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to I'm going to make him listen to this podcast and I'm going to say, look, you could have been writing to Wesson Oil and like really changing the world and you chose Cindy Crawford. But all right, tell me about the That's other awesome. teacher who changed, who changed your life. The, the other teacher was really interesting because he was actually a race car driver. And he, he retired from racing uh, in order to go and actually help kids um, at the high school I was at. And so what he did was he actually taught me about science and then helped me build a science project um, uh, around aerodynamics. And so he helped me with the ideas, helped me with all the materials. That actually was the thing that really changed my life. I ended up uh, building, doing four years of science research, um, winning a bunch of awards. That's what got me into college. But more importantly than that, the, the skills that I gained there are the skills I'm using today. And it was really interesting to see because he didn't come from a traditional teaching background, but he made such a big impact on me uh, as a result. That's awesome. That's really great. Okay. We are running low on time. So I want to ask you one more question, then we'll go to our rapid fire. And this is my question. You know, in some ways your story is that you, you were at this great place to work. And then, you know, somehow you start to need a little bit more of a sense of hope is really what I hear from you. And mm -hmm. that's why you moved on to this. And I'm just curious, you know, on the day to day of trying to build an ed tech product and get it in the hands of kids and students, there's a lot of reasons to lose hope, but what is giving you a lot of hope? right now? Like what are the, what are the moments that you're really gravitating to for that, for that kind of magic elixir to keep you going? <laughs> I think it's every time I think of the students that are there and the struggle that students are going through, especially post COVID. You're right. that being in a startup is not easy. I feel like I get punched in the face every single day in one way or another, basically uh, at, 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 as a startup. But if I think of those students, you know, whether it's a student in fourth grade that is behind in a particular area and is losing confidence, whether it might be a student that's trying to get their college degree, whether it might be somebody that's in a job that needs a little bit more education to get to something that's going to be more fulfilling for them. Those are the people that really drive me on. That's awesome. That's great. Do you, you don't have a story of one kid that you've seen use Chiron and really see it be impacted, right? Yeah, you know, it, it, we, we've started to see a few of these. One of my favorite ones was one of the first early test uh, uh, users that, uh, that, that we tested with. Um, she was in the, uh, in the Los Angeles Unified School District. And just her reaction was amazing. She, she came out of it. She was the one that waved by to the teacher at the very end. And she came out of it saying like, you know, I felt like I was talking to her. This is better than anything that I was, uh, I'd ever been, uh, been using. And that just gave the team and me, you know, just, a just gave us goosebumps. And, and it was really, it, it, it was that moment where we realized if we do what we're doing, we could really make a difference. Yeah. You know what you're really making me think of? And then I swear we'll get to your rapid fire questions is, you know, at Amira, what we hear a lot are kids who won't read with anybody who never want to read out loud are willing to read with Amira, right? They, they, we have the story of this kid in Texas who like a third grader was hiding behind a cabinet in order to like read with Amira because that was who he was willing to read out loud with. And the same thing I think about the kids using Chiron are the kids who maybe never ask a question in class, right? Mm -hmm. How many kids sit in class all day, not understanding anything, but they're quiet and compliant. And so nobody ever checks in, right? And yeah. so yeah. It's, a, it's a safe, easy place to ask questions. Yes. I think, I think there's a lot, a lot there that's really helpful to a lot of kids. So 
Very cool. I can't wait to see where you go. I can't wait to see you grow. Um, this has been such a fun conversation. We have five questions we ask every guest. And so we're going to ask you those now. The first question is every time the guest hears the name more than a test, they think it is, they kind of give it a different meaning of their own. So when you heard that our podcast was called more than a test, what did that mean to you? I think that, that education is more than about the results and the testing. It's about how do you actually inspire people? And I think we focus too much on that test. And so if we can really inspire students, the tests will happen um, uh, and, and, and test results will happen. But it's really about how do you inspire a student? We have so many superintendents telling us that. Just so you know, if you listen to some of our other guests, um, a lot of what they're, they talk about is, in addition to great curriculum and academics and things like that, they're investing in field trips. They're investing in getting the kids out of the classroom. Yeah. And one of them said it best. They said they have to see where they're going to do the work to get there. Right. Absolutely. And so that's what I think you're hitting it on the head, at least as far as how educators feel. Okay. Tell us about one literary moment that you like either is your happy place that you go back to, or that just really stands out to you. So what I mean by that is a moment of you in a book that is a defining moment in your life. One of the books I think where it was, it was a defining moment was there's a book called Tuesdays with Maury uh, by Mitch Album. I love that book. I read that over and over. I read it the first time probably 25 years ago, and then I've now read it probably every few years. And it's really kind of a very centering experience about like what life is really all about and how do I think about the perspective of what I'm doing every day in that broader picture. Oh, that's great. I, I remember, I haven't read it in a long time, but I remember my grandmother giving it to me and really loving it. Um, a piece of technology that you love. Um, hmm, let's think, what is the, what's the best thing that I can think of? I think, you know, given the things that we are doing right now, um, generative AI is, uh, is something that has been really, really compelling to me. Um, I think it's very raw, but it's amazing to see what it's capable of. And it's, it feels like magic. Um, and I, that's the thing I've just loved about AI and working in AI is that it feels like you're actually creating magic. Is there something that you've done with AI recently that you could share? Because I think a lot of people are kind of thinking about like, what could I be doing? What, what have you done recently? Yeah, uh, well, I think that, um, so I'll, I'll give you an example. We, we, we are starting to figure out how we can incorporate generative AI into our product. And what was interesting to see is we, we tweaked it's such that it can answer one question for a student. And the way it answered the question was really amazing. It, it's, it's, we, we found it that it was actually answering the question because of the way that we tuned it in the way that that teacher would have answered that question. And that was really, really shocking and surprising for us. That's awesome. That's so great. Um, the best advice you've ever, been, you've ever been given. Best advice I've ever been given. I think, I think the best advice I've ever been given is really to focus on your passion. And um, it's interesting because I've heard other people actually talk about how that's terrible advice, but I think it is absolutely the best, uh, the best advice because I feel, I feel this with everything that I do, that if I'm passionate about what I'm doing, I'm the best version of myself. And so, um, you know, it, it, everything else will follow, success will follow if you're, if you're passionate and you are the best version of yourself. That's awesome. And one book you think everyone should read? Uh, the Harry Potter series. Um, <laughs> that was, it, what's interesting about that is I loved that uh, when it first came out and uh, I was uh, just out of college when that, when that first started to come out. 
me and my wife would get every book right when they came out. And both of our kids are really passionate about it. And just the imagination that's in there is, uh, is really incredible. I cannot wait for the day my children are old enough for Harry Potter. So I'm right there with you. <laughs> um, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your experience at Google, what you're doing now, all the ways that you're thinking about your hard work and your passion. It's been a great conversation. Have Thank you for being here. Great. Well, thank you, Laura. Really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on the More Than a Test podcast. If you found this conversation valuable, subscribe to our YouTube channel and find us on your favorite podcast platform. At Amira Learning, we believe every child deserves a chance to become a reader, and we're excited to be part of this conversation. See you next week, and thanks for joining.